Bible, turn to Psalm 28, please. Psalm 28, as we make our way through the Psalms this summer. A few more weeks to go with that. Last week in Psalm 27, we observed David's desire to be in God's house, worshiping with God's people. We were taught to seek the face of God, right? to seek his presence continually in our lives, to know him more and more. Today we'll be going through Psalm 28, learning a little more about calling upon the Lord in prayer. And so again, as we go through the Psalms, remember that these Psalms are actually songs written, right? Written for worship. So think of them as songs as we make our way through. Oftentimes they have different parts, similar to the various verses in a song that we would sing, right? And so think of it that way. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into Psalm 28. Father God, now as we come to your word, please give us uh, wisdom, open our minds and hearts to receive from you through your word, and God, would you use it to change us and mold us more in the image of Christ, doing your great work in us, producing much fruitfulness to the glory of your name. It is in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, Psalm 28, a Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Amen. So the first thing we see here is a prayer of desperation. A prayer of desperation, verses 1 through 3. So the psalm begins with David calling out to God, right? Now, David must be going through, once again, we see this throughout the psalms, going through some hard time, some time of trouble, some very difficult circumstances. As in other places, we don't know specifically what those are here. But he's desperately asking for God's help, right? Now, some of you, are in a position where you can cry out to God like this. There's need for you to do that, right? Others of you may not have the immediate circumstances personally, but there's much around you in our culture and in the lives of other people to pray and to call out to God, to to act, to do something different. We prayed that this morning with Pastor Mark leading us, right? But David here is pleading for mercy, right? So mercy is needed not only for salvation. We talk about God's mercy in salvation. But his mercy is needed for our help and for our good. Right? We might consider these things to be 
lesser salvations, so to speak. Right? Save me from this trouble. Show mercy to change these circumstances. Right? Calling upon God. So here we see David calling out. There's a need for urgent and sincere prayer before God. We see here that David calls out, do not be deaf, do not be silent. And so as we see these things, we see uh, calling on God to be passive, in one sense passive, in one sense active, right? So being deaf is a passive thing. Not being silent is an active thing, and they're tied together, right? And so when you read in Scripture, hear me, Lord, it's not just listen to my voice, but it's hear, respond, act on my behalf, okay? And this is what David is doing here. He's calling God to hear him. Don't be deaf, but then act. Do something about it. Don't be silent. Act. And so as David is calling out here in this desperate time, he's calling for God's help, what else do we see him doing? We see him worshiping, right? He's worshiping. He is seeking after God. Look at the end of verse 2, right? So he's calling out to God for help. When I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. David is worshiping, right? Now recall that the sanctuary was the place of worship. So as we saw last week, David is seeking the presence of God, right? And he says, I lift up my hands. Now in worship, there are different reasons to lift up our hands, right? We might lift up our hand in praise or blessing God. Psalm 63, 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 134, Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Right? So they're lifting up our hands in praise and blessing God. We can lift up our hands in a sign of sacrifice or surrender. Right? Psalm 104 says, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Here's my offering. I'm offering myself before you. And here in Psalm 28, there's a lifting up of our hands and just dependence upon God. You're my help. You're my hope. Help me, Lord. All right? And so as we gather for worship, when appropriate, feel free to lift up your hands right? in worship to God. I know last week I challenged you with shouts of joy. This week I'm challenging you with lifting your hands. I know some of you are not comfortable with that. Look to Scripture. What does Scripture tell you? It's okay to give a shout of joy. Amen. It's okay to lift your hands up in praise to God. Right? But here in this psalm and throughout the psalms of David, we see this constant theme of worship. Right? No matter the circumstances David is facing, no matter the hard, difficult things, he's always looking to God. He's always worshiping God. So this stems from an ongoing relationship with God. Right? It's not just a once and done, call upon the Lord, and then I'm moving on with life. 
This is a lifestyle of looking upon the mercies of the Lord, of knowing who God is and living in faith and trusting himself to God. Do you have faith like that? Now notice the first two words again of this psalm, right? To you. To you. This is David's direction in prayer. This is his focus. To you, O Lord. Right? Who better to call upon? There's a dependence upon the Lord for help. He's not self-sufficient here. He's looking to the Lord. Right? If you, O Lord, don't work, if you don't act, I'm done for. I'm lost. I'm without hope. Right? We see in these words here, David is desperate, and he's on the brink of death. Right? He's almost ready to go down to the pit. He's desperate. And yet, David is looking to God. I call to you. I cry to you for help, O Lord. So who do you call upon? Where do you go for help? Is the Lord your first step, the first place you go? Do you go to him in prayer? When you face times of trial and distress and hardship, do you continue in faithful worship of God, calling out to him for help? Now notice here there are two positions that he lists here in verse 1, my rock and the pit. All right? So first he says, my rock. He calls the Lord my rock. This is a solid place, right? His firm foundation is the Lord. I heard a new song this week, and in the part of the lyrics says, when the foundation is firm, the storms don't matter. When the foundation's firm, the storms don't matter. Now, they, they matter, but not significantly, not eternally. Right? When the foundation of Christ is firm. And so David calls the Lord his rock. This is his firm place to stand. This is his place to be. And the storms of life going on around him, all those troubles are significant. They're there, but not as significant as his rock on which he stands. His firm foundation of faith in Christ. So one position we see is the rock, my rock. The second is the pit. Right? We see here that there are some who are going down to the pit. Right? What is that? Well, in a temporal sense, in a temporary sense, this is the muck of the world and all the effects of sin in this world. Right? Sin is a messy place to be. Right? Sin produces chaos. It's ugly. It's difficult. It has a lot of consequence. And there are some who in this world are going down into the pit. They're living in that muck, in that mire. So, my rock going down to the pit. So where do you stand? Where is your footing? Do you stand on Christ, the solid rock, or in the sinful muck of this world? Do you live in Christ and the truth of God's word or in the counsel of the wicked and the way of sinners? David was an experienced man. 
He knew trouble. He knew sin. But he knew God. Right? He knew who God is. And now he cries out to the Lord, his rock. Can you do that? Can you say, oh Lord, my rock. Is your faith grounded in that way? Now, as we consider the rock and the pit, the pit is more than just the sinfulness and the consequences of sin here on this earth. There is an ultimate end to that. Ultimately, the pit is death, right? Sheol, we see in the Old Testament. To go down to the pit means to go down into death. And death is tied with judgment, right? In death, there is punishment for sin. We'll explore that more in a little bit here. But in David's cry to God for help, we also observe another distinction that's given here. The distinction of the righteous and the wicked. Right? Now we don't see the term the righteous in this psalm, but we see these two terms. We see, do see the wicked in verse 3. But we see these two terms throughout uh, various psalms. Right? The righteous and the wicked. So the righteous are those living by faith according to God's word. They have a continued lifestyle of faith and repentance. So that's the righteous. And then the wicked are those guilty of sin and hostility towards God and his people. Right? The term wicked means evil or morally wrong. Right? These are the people who persist in unrepentant sin with no care for God. Not just those who sin sometimes right, and deal with it, but those who continue in it. And so here, specifically in this psalm, we see that the wicked are hypocritical sinners who are causing harm to others, right? They speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. They cloak themselves, they clothe themselves in an appearance of good, but they are filled with evil intent, you see that in our world today? Right? So we've seen this distinction before in the Psalms. Turn with me uh, back to Psalm chapter 1 just for a bit. Psalm chapter 1, verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Wicked and righteous. Turn to Psalm chapter 7. Verse 9. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. So there's this distinction. The righteous, God's people living by faith, and the wicked living in their sin. Right? Those being made new in Christ, and those continuing to carry out evil deeds. Those being sanctified by God's Word through the Holy Spirit and those who are workers of evil. Right? That's what they're called here. Works, workers of evil. And again, where is the evil? In their hearts, it says. Right? It's deep within. This is where evil resides. It's deep within a person. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful. Above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? 
So the righteous have hearts being transformed more and more by the Holy Spirit, while the wicked have hearts filled with evil, and they carry out those evil deeds. Now, if this all sounds harsh to you, please know that I'm just preaching God's Word. This is what God's Word says. And so that's how we have to see things, right? There's a stark contrast between the righteous and the wicked, between believers and unbelievers, between those who, through faith in Christ, are pursuing after Him and those who are apart from Him. There's a distinction. So, which are you? Where do you find yourself to be in this distinction? Right? In David's prayer here, he draws out this, this distinction, right? Don't count me as an unfaithful one. Right? Don't number me there. Don't put me with them. I'm looking to you in faith. Distinguish me, distinguish us, God's people, from them, from the unbelievers, from those who are wicked. And so this separation is both temporal and eternal. Right? In the temporal, David and righteous believers are separated unto God in how they live and how they worship. And in the eternal, believers are separated unto God in eternal life and their position in heaven. And so there's this distinction. And David here has faith for what God will do. Right? Do you see this coming out? Look at his faith. He has faith to believe that the lit wicked will go down to the pit. Right? He has faith to believe that the wicked will be dragged off. It takes faith to believe that, right? God is a just God. But he knows, David knows it will happen because he knows what God has said. Right? He knows God's word. He knows the promise of God. So in Psalm 28, we see David begins with this song, but a prayer of desperation. But already we can see his faith coming through. Right? So prayer of desperation. Next thing we see is a call for judgment. A call for judgment in verses 4 and 5. David calls for judgment on the wicked who are working evil. Now think about this. Does David seek revenge? Right? Does he say, boy, am I going to get them? I'm going to take it to them. I'm ready to put the hurt on those evildoers. That's not what he's doing. He's not taking it upon himself. He's calling on God to judge them according to their works, according to their deeds. Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so David is looking to God's judgment, not his own revenge. Right? God, you do this. You act upon your word. You act upon what you have said. You give them what they deserve. So how about for you? How do you respond to evil? There are times to reach out and love and witness to another in Christ. There are times to resist evil and protect others. There are times to call a on God's judgment of the wicked, right? 
How do we know that there are times for all these? We see it in God's Word, right? We see this in God's Word. But of course, it takes much wisdom as we consider those things. But here in these verses, verses 4 and 5, we observe another contrast here, right? There's a contrast between the works of the Lord and the works of the wicked, right? The works of the Lord's hand and the work done by the hand of those who are wicked. And so whose work do you most regard? That of men or that of the Lord? Whose work is more valuable to you? Whose do you talk about most? I've done something great? Or the Lord has done something great in my life? Where do you look? And David here doesn't hold back against those who are working evil, right? For those who are opposing the Lord. He's not nice towards them. He asks for them to receive their due reward. Their due reward. And what is the due reward for sinful wickedness? Romans chapter 6, verse 23, right? For the wages, the earnings of sin is death. Sin earns death. Sin is the due reward, excuse me, death is the due reward for sin. That's what it deserves. It deserves a separation from the blessings of God. And so David calls on God to punish these evildoers with the judgment of his wrath. Why can David do that? Well, he's simply echoing the promises of God. He's just calling upon what God has promised to do. Turn with me back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Towards the beginning of your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 11. We'll see here that there is blessing for those who live in obedience to God and curses for those who do not. Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting in verse 26. Here's what it says. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of your, the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today. So there's blessing and there's curses, right, that God has laid out. And so David is just calling upon those, right? Let me give it to you another way. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. New Testament, Galatians chapter 6. This is another way to think about what David is calling upon God to do here. Galatians chapter 6, starting verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So here's this principle of you reap what you sow. Right? You will reap a harvest. It's just dependent upon what you're sowing. Right? If you sow carrots, you'll reap carrots. If you sow beans, you'll reap beans. Right? If you sow evil deeds, 
you reap God's judgment. If through faith and repentance you sow good works, you get God's blessing and fruitfulness in your life. And so unbelievers who sow evil, wicked deeds ultimately reap death and the judgment of God. Believers who sow faith in the Son of God ultimately reap life and the blessing of God. So what are you sowing? What type of seed are you planting? Matthew chapter uh, chapter 16, verse 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. How is your life going? How are you living your life? Are you living in faith and repentance, sowing seeds of righteousness or sowing seeds of sinfulness? So David here calls for judgment, and again, he knows that God will act, right? Look at verse 5, back to Psalm 28, verse 5. He knows he will act. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Do you have faith to claim what God will do? Is that presumptuous? Not if it's based upon his word and what he said he would do, right? It's not based on your desires or your will, but it's based on God's word. Here's some examples of what God will do. God will save sinners who come to him in faith. Christ will return again. God will bless his children with an eternal inheritance. He will judge those who are apart from Christ. And many more things we could add. How can we claim these things? Because God's word says it's true. He says that he will do it, and he is faithful to all of his promises. God, me, David knows that God will judge the wicked. He knows God will act. In verse 5 here, we again see this difference between those who are saved and those who are not, right? What is the cause of that? What is the difference? Because they do not regard the works of the Lord. Right? So a difference here, this is simply a matter of faith. Right? Believers have sin, but they also have regard for who the Lord is and what he has done. Right? Unbelievers have sin, but do not have regard for the Lord. They aren't considering who he is and all that he has done. They don't have consideration for his kingdom. They're not living for the glory of God. And so here we see a, the distinct nature of a Christian, right? A Christian says, I know the evil I do. I know my sin, but I'm looking to the Lord Jesus in faith, trusting in his forgiveness and his righteousness on my behalf. I know I'm worthy to be dragged off to judgment, but I know that Jesus is my only hope. And so I'm entrusting myself to him. Right? So the difference is faith regarding who the Lord is, regarding who God is and all that he has done to save. So we see this call for judgment after the desperate prayer, and next we see answered prayer in verses 6 and 7. Answered prayer. He, God, has heard. Right? 
he has heard. And as I said before, hearing and acting go together, right? There's the implication of God hears that he acts, right? And we see that here. He has heard. Now, it's not clear if David is writing in anticipation that God will act or if he's writing after the fact that God has already acted. I would tend to believe it's the latter. So again, this is a song. Think of this as a song. In one verse, there's a call for God to act. And in a later verse, there's a celebration of God acting and answering prayer, right? So either way, we need to know that God answers prayer, right? The Lord has heard. He has shown mercy. He has saved. David was helped. He was no longer in despair. His desperate prayers have been answered. So consider that for a moment. Consider this. God answers prayer. The great creator, the one who rules all things, the one who is all-knowing and all-powerful, hears you and answers your prayers. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Let me ask the question a different way. If you really believe that God answers your prayers, how would you pray differently than you do right now? Would you pray more often? I would. Would you pray different prayers? I would. Would you pray more intentionally and more intensely? I certainly would. Our faith can be so weak at times, can't it? God answers prayer. We should come to Him all the time with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of supplications, seeking His face, seeking to know Him, seeking to see Him, uh, to call upon Him to move and to act in our lives and lives of others. And what does David learn of God throughout this ordeal? Who has God proven Himself to be? David says, my strength and my shield. Right? David is not just relieved to be out of the circumstances that he was facing. Right? He's not just glad that those circumstances are gone, but he's come to know God more because of it. He's strengthened in faith and he trusts God more by having gone through those circumstances. So when you're in difficult times, what do you want most? Do you want the circumstances just to be different, to be gone? Or do you want to know God more? Seek his faith. Seek to know him. And this is personal for David, right? We saw this last week in Psalm 27. The Lord is my strength. He is my shield. I know God. And I know him more now than I did before I went through that trial. And here again we see worship. Worship. Blessed be the Lord. My heart exalts. With my song I give thanks to God. He has answered my prayers. 
right? David bursts forth in worship and prays to his God who has once again proven himself faithful. This is our God. And there's thanksgiving and celebration over all that God is and all that he has done. If you are in Christ through faith, God has done so much for you. Are you worshipful? Are you thankful? Do you burst forth in song? Blessed be the Lord. Answered prayer. And last we see with David's faithful confidence. Faithful confidence at the end of this psalm, right? David has moved from expressing an individual relationship with the Lord in verse 7 to a corporate, a collective relationship with the Lord in verse 8 and 9, right? The Lord now is our strength and shield, right? The Lord is my strength and my shield. The Lord is our strength and our shield. The Lord saves his people. The Lord is a shepherd to everyone, all those who belong to him. So our Lord Jesus cares for you individually, and he cares for us, his people, together. Right? So we do see here that the Lord saves his people. There's confidence that God will care for his people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Right? The Lord saves his people people. Are you his? Are you his? Have you come to believe that Jesus Christ is God made man? That he lived a sinless life and died on the cross for your sin? That he rose to life again and is seated in heaven? Have you entrusted yourself to him, given yourself over to him in faith? The salvation of the Lord is sure. It will happen. It will not fail. And David here again expresses faith in what is to come. Right? This faith is based on the character of God and the promise of God. This is what's coming. Salvation is coming. Do you know what God says is yet to come? Do you believe what God says is yet to come? Christ will return. Christ will save finally and completely. Christ will destroy all his enemies. God's word says it to be, and so we believe it in faith. And lastly, in verse 9, David makes a request for the nation, for the people of God, right? Remember, he is king. He has the people. He's making requests on behalf of the people, but he's doing it in faithful confidence, right? What I have experienced, let all of your people experience, God. Let them know you as I know you, David is saying. There's a confidence, a certainty that things will happen. And ultimately, this is fulfilled in Christ and his church. If you are truly the Lord's, he will be your strength in every trial. He will save you through every circumstance. He will shepherd you and care for you. Not only for you individually, but for us, the collective body of Christ, his people, his church. Jesus will shepherd and save in this life 
and in life to come. The ultimate power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate role in His shepherding and carrying us forever in in, in His overcoming our sin and granting us eternal life with God forever and ever. Now, if this is all true, and it is, I'll ask you this. How do you approach God? How do you approach God? How do you come to Him? Do you come wholeheartedly? I'm not just asked, talking about Sunday morning worship. That's important. But I mean in the entirety of your life. How do you approach God in your job? How do you approach God in your marriage and your parenting? How do you approach Him in relationships with others around you? Are you only a half-hearted Christian? Or do you come to Him fully, all of you, laying yourself before Him? Live in this confidence of who God is and what He has promised. Search the Scriptures, read your Bible to find out what it says. Then believe it and live it out in faith in your life. Live with faithful confidence in the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we do call out to you in desperate times. Give us faith for that. Give us faith to even call for judgment upon those who do wicked and evil. But God, help us to stand upon Christ, our rock. Help us to have that firm foundation, that solid ground, that we would not waver in faith, but we would have security in our faith. God, thank you that you are my strength and my shield. But thank you for the body of believers that you have brought together, that you are the strength of your people. God, help us to continue to grow in maturity, to grow in relationship with one another. But Father, teach us to call upon you in prayer. Teach us to pray more fervently, more diligently. Teach us to pray better prayers. Teach us to seek your face in this way and to do it in great faith and confidence because we know who you are and we know your word. So God, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.